Welcome to the Agile Wire, where professional scrum trainers Jeff Bubbles and Jeff Molesky discuss agile topics. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Bubbles and Jeff Molesky. And we are recording. All right, Mr. Bubbles, kick us off, man. All right, so this week we have Joe Justice on the podcast with us. So, Joe, um, I saw you, I said it was a number of years ago. You think it's really recent, maybe like 2014-ish time frame um, at a conference, and we built the car together. And I thought that was a pretty awesome experience. I talk about it a lot when I'm telling people about how Scrum is used in different contexts. Um, so why don't you just give us a little background about yourself, what you do with Winky Speed? I know you're working with Tesla now. Uh, there's lots of cool stuff to share uh, with the audience. I don't want to miss. It's an honor to be here. Jeff and Jeff, it, truly, I'm absolutely grateful for this time together and getting a chance to share what I think I've learned with your audience. I'm I'm loving it. All right. Let me try to say something even more interesting than, than how grateful I am to be here, which is completely true. And uh, that's my goodness. The last summer leveled up my understanding of what's possible. Operating Agile at Tesla from the headquarters, Fremont, California, United States, um, during the biggest stock price ramp, stock price ramp of that company's history, they they went up basically five x. I mean, it yo-yos up and down, but basically five x their value, and that is nearly the largest stock price stock price ramp of any company ever. So, in the terms of money and the history of money, that was an event which is already ridiculous. Definitely in the, in the history of automotive, no automotive company has ever done anything like that or energy company or solar company or whatever you call Tesla or, or even software company. Like they, they beat all, right? They, they reset categories. And I got to be in the headquarters while that was happening and even driving some of the enablers of that by operating Agile at Tesla while there. And I really want to share uh, as broadly as I can, what really makes that work um, to the extent that I don't violate the NDA. I have an NDA, however, bizarrely, Tesla is really progressive about open sourcing their most critical enablers. Um, and in a hilarious way, there's the meme, all your base are belong to us, which is a super old meme and I love it. And it's from a, a super Famicom title called Zero Wing. And Katz says, you have no chance to survive, make your time, all your base are belong to us. And it's so hilariously missubtitled that it became a meme. Well, Elon Musk, when he commanded the release of most patents in Tesla, not all, but most, truly most. The title was, is all our patents are belong to you. And it's just so legit awesome. So that's a company that's hyper transparent. Uh, there are a few trade secrets that are tightly kept and there are a few patents that are protected, but not very much. Far and away, the majority is completely out there. So I can actually talk about a lot. Uh, but there's some things that I'll have to be careful about. Mm -hmm. But what I want to say is, man, that company's fast. And I, I did retire from Tesla in actually a very short amount of time. Um, I did awesome stuff. I'm hyper proud of myself. I made connections that will be useful to me forever. I accomplished stuff that I'll be proud of forever. That company is so ridiculously intense. I'm a very fit person. And I allocated myself wholly towards it. And I was like, I can't keep doing this. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot. Um, and I was like, I'm going to go back to teaching two classes a day in a 24-hour period because that's way easier than that. <laughs> like, it's just, oh, my goodness. It's so legit next level. But 
if I had to sum it up in a very short amount of time, I'd say truly anything is possible. What you do is you treat it like you're training for the Olympics and you say, I'm going to do this for 12 hours and then I'm going to stop and recover. And you're legit icing your joints. Like I, I don't care if you're in a knowledge work position, you are icing your joints and you are journaling and meditating and you're being your very best ideal imagined self just to cope. And you are setting world records every 10 minutes. Hmm. And part of the reason that's happening is because you've gotten really good at machine learning and robotics control. And I don't mean that to sound too far out there. It, it's maybe you have to do it for it to sound not hard, but your right arm is a FANUC robot and your left arm is a KUKA robot. And you learn to wield, even if you're in a knowledge work job, <laughs> and you learn to wield that. So you learn something about robotics control and something about machine learning. So they compensate for your human inadequacies to keep up with a thousand cars shooting by in a very short amount of time. And you do new product development on the line in real time with quality that passes road legal tests. And that's the future of all goods, everything. And it's storming the stock market. And it's already happened in aerospace and it's already happened in road legal transport and it's already happened in human brain implants and it's not slowing down. So that's what it is. And it, it, th that is the short version of my synopsis for the whole world is get a little good at machine learning, call it AI, use a hot buzzword if you want, get a little bit good at machine learning, do some scripts and understand a little bit about robotics control, understand what G code is, write some, buy a $2,000 robot that you can do G code with and get familiar and then storm the world and set world records and create the future of humanity among the stars and you're set. <laughs> so there was that a sounds... lot to take in there, <laughs> uh, which is great. Um, I, I would love to roll back just a little bit um, to kind of one of the first things you were talking about Agile at Tesla. Like I've heard yeah. Agile at scale. I've heard, um, uh, I shouldn't say the other name of it. Um, in not, not in a condescending <laughs> way. I, There's, plenty of brands. There's plenty of brands. Right. So what do you mean by that? What do you mean by Agile at Tesla? Okay. What, what I mean by that is saying, can we get higher speed with same or better quality? Like, like that's it. There's no business value in the brand of Agile. Interestingly, the brand of Agile is super valuable and drives up speed. And really cool for me as a humanist is it drives up speed by being more respectful of people, which mm -hmm. is kind of the dream state, right? And you're like, wow, people get to be happier and better respected as humans and we make more money. <laughs> okay, I'm in. And, and luckily, the brand Agile is associated with that mostly. So Agile is four sentences and then 12 sentences behind it. And that's that's it. It's a mindset. Well, applying that in, for example, Tesla, it's are we really clear what the definition of ready is for this position? Are we really clear what the definition of done is for this position? And have we honored the humans and robots and scripts that make this position possible by being clear to them on what they need to do, understanding what their downtime needs to be for sustainability are they happy and effective? Individuals and interactions, but I, I have to count robots and scripts also as humans when I say individuals. So that's maybe a next level, huh. by the way. So that's good. When I say agile now, I mean people and robots and scripts. 
before, every time I read software in the Agile Manifesto, I had to switch it for product or service or customer visible value. Now I've got to switch individuals for or robots or scripts. And, and now it still works. So with those swaps, the Agile Manifesto still very well serves. So practically, it's a lot of definition of ready and definition of done work because this is legally compliant stuff and you're making changes. Again, I should set the stage a little bit. So BMW, when they changed the shape of the grill, which isn't even the air intake, the air intake behind it is a blacked out piece of plastic that's been the same shape for a long time. But when they changed the grill, which is just aesthetics, because the air intake behind it is the same shape. Uh, so they're like, this is the sporty version, so we'll make the grill bigger. The air intake is the same size, by the way. That's just aesthetics. So when they, they change the grill, and then they change the software on the navigation, that's called a minor model change. And that's every about three years for BMW. And BMW is awesome. I have a tremendous respect for the brand. I, I actually aspire to enjoy many BMWs in my life. Tesla makes 27 changes in production per model per week. That's a pretty big wow. change. That's the difference. And no one can compete. Someday somebody will, will figure it out. I, I've taught Agile at, 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 uh, at Toyota. I've taught Tesla at Denso, Toyota's largest supplier. And so they know. They know the recipe. It's just have they decided to roll it out and not yet. Not, not yet at scale, only in like their, their self-driving unit uh, has publicly said, look, we're, we're scrum top to bottom. And I trained all of them, um, including the next CEO, Daisuke Toyota, was trained by me in scrum. But they haven't rolled it out at scale across Toyota yet. You look at a company that has Tesla, it's 27 changes in production per week. And it's when just you, when you're at week. With Wikispeed, how many changes can you make on those cars in a week? Okay, now... I know I'm switching context here. We're, like, talking a few cars a week to, like, thousands of cars. But, like, how, how different is that? Yeah, so so Wikispeed is the only company I know of that's even faster. And that's because we have no legacy. We're, we're pure play agile. And, in fact, we're intentionally agile as if that's the goal by itself, right? So we mm -hmm. think speed of change is, is the point. And Tesla does too, honestly, but Wikispeed, Wikispeed went head to head with Tesla in 2010 in an event called the Progressive Insurance Automotive X Prize. And there was a $10 million prize burst to say who can achieve these bars faster. And Wikispeed beat Tesla. And I will never regret that. I will be proud of that forever. Um, so I've got some chops to say even how a company I created from scratch can be world-class because still no one has topped that. Mm -hmm. uh, Wikispeed still holds four world records that have yet to be surpassed. Now that said, Tesla has taught me a lot uh, and, and mostly about how to scale that. Um, and uh, it, it's been astounding. And some of that I think can, we can bring out in this podcast. So for folks that are thinking, should I keep listening? Yeah, you should. I, th I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be worth your time. <laughs> so I, I please like keep keep elaborating on that so I, i'm curious what are some of the things that you learned from that experience um and what what was what was the end state of that like what what was the achievement of where they were at before they started to where they were at afterwards 
Oh man, you're awesome, Jeff M. Thanks for thanks for teeing up such an interesting question. And I, I hope our listeners think it's as cool as I do. I'm blown away by the fact that you target us that way. As simple as this sounds, like truly the stuff that work works, I do think is in hindsight or once you've done it, super simple. And unless you've done it, it probably sounds like starships and unicorns. Um, but uh, to that point, Jeff, I think it's the 12 hour shifts that are rockingly important um, along with the respect for people. So having real time baristas and baristas that'll make you, they'll attempt to make a world-class espresso drink or coffee drink, whatever you want, 24 hours a day. There's something about that that's important and necessary when you're gunning this hard and that, you know, there's a gourmet team. It's a scrum team. They have a backlog of how can we make Michelin star dishes or better and it's served hot every three to four hours, 24 hours a day. There's something about that that allows this to be sustainable. And I'm not entirely sure what the psychological profile of what that creates is, but I, I don't think this level of performance is sustainable without it. So there's something about the gourmet team and the coffee team that's legit. And what it enables to sustain, I think, is the 12-hour work day. And whether that's three days a week, four days a week, or even seven days a week, the 12 hours a day workday allows two shifts to have seamless 24 hour operation. And there's something about that that is different and powerful. And as simple as that sounds, I think that's what the next level is. And I love the idea of the three hour workday or the four hour work week. I love it. And that can be enabled and functional, I believe, with heavy automation, truly. But to create that automation, and if you're trying to innovate, that means you're always creating that automation. I do believe that's where the 12 hour workday comes in. And whether that's three days a week and four days off or four days a week and three days off, or whether you're, this is the phase of my life. I'm all in at seven days a week. Yeah. yeah I, if you do seven different. days a week though, like you, even for you, right? Like there's a point in time where it's like, <laughs> I can only do this for so long, right? Like there's, there is a, uh, a cap on that, right? Like you're, you're going to burn out at some point if you go 12 hours a day, seven days a week, right? I learned something about that. And maybe this is per person, but I got to work with 10,000 other people making the same decision. So I'm at least not the only one. I think if that's your only commitment, it's fully sustainable. But if you say, look, I also want to play tennis, for example, it's not, it's not. But if you say, I also want to be a painter, an artist, or I also want to explore X, it's not, I don't think. Um, I grew up in a little town called South Bend, Indiana, and that's where a university called Notre Dame is. And Notre Dame used to have a tremendously powerful force in the sport of football, American football, college football. And arguably, they still do. At least they have a massive following. Um, but the points might say differently. Well, I grew up in that and it was a very interesting hyper athletic culture because the, the whole town was taken over by Notre Dame game day. And by the way, it's, it's as a French word, it should be closer to Notre Dame, but in South Bend, Indiana, we said, we said Notre Dame. Um, the coaches would tell the students every single semester you can do two things. You can play football. You can academically succeed. And you can date someone 
you can do two things. You're going to get kicked out of Notre Dame if you don't academically succeed. Do you want to play football? And they're not kidding. That's the real deal. Like, that's the real deal. You, you're, you're celibate. You're, you're a nun or a monk. Like, that's it. But if you want to make that commitment for one, two, 10, 30 years of your life, welcome to world, world records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe that's what some people choose to do. And then, you know, when you're working for a higher purpose, I can see people doing that for a while. And, and you're accomplishing some pretty amazing things at Tesla. And I think that's a pretty... And you're probably seeing a lot of your hard work, like paying off. And- our, our. So our, I, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, so the three of us as people who are agile professionals, that's a powerful enabler for business, right? We, we've, the, the data's in, it's a good thing. And we are all learning from each other in real time every day. And uh, I don't think any of us can take individual credit. I, I did put in some hard time and I'm proud of it. And I put in some fun time and I'm proud of it. And what did I do during that time? I put in what we've all learned as a community. It's legitimately the Agile community. So I, I don't want to interrupt Jeff, but I think it's so important to say we are all standing on each other's shoulders. And that's what makes this, that's part of what this Agile revolution is. It's like people who are like, I'm a one person army. And we're like, by the way, look at how much cooler business value we are as, a, as this massive community. And we've crushed it. Agile is now past the early majority, only the laggards are calling saying, can you teach me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's so the real deal. And it's because we approached it with, we are learning these things by helping others do it. It's written right into the Agile Manifesto. What do the teams look like at Tesla? Like, and what's the culture like? Like actually awesome. on the team. Awesome. <laughs> Need some more, John. Take <laughs> me a picture. You, like, what does it look like? Like, are they, uh, how big are they? How many people are they cross-functional from different, you know, disciplines? Like what is it, what does a typical team look like? Okay. So again, I'm going to try to dance, dance around the NDA because there's a few things that are protected. Okay. I think I can say some important things that a lot of us can learn from and find value in the, the duty we're doing changes as often as once an hour. And I mean, mm-hmm. dramatically different, uh, like an entirely different concept as often as once an hour. So the idea of being on a team is hyper flexible to make that functional. The team you're on is extremely clear for that moment. For that moment, you know exactly what your DOD and DOR are. So you can function. I mean, if not, you just make junk product and that would harm the company. So you know exactly what your DOD and DOR are. Part of what makes that functional is a concept called walk up simple. You can walk up to a task, be that a complete radical innovation, restructuring of a company, acquisition of a company, land acquisition, building a module of a factory, or painting a car door. I mean, whatever it is. The goal is you can walk up to it and in less than five minutes, hopefully much less than five minutes, completely grasp how you could best contribute. And that's Mm -hmm. a super high level mental exercise to be able to create modular chunks of an ambitious project like Tesla or SpaceX or Neuralink or OpenAI or Boring Company to be that walk up simple. But when you do, that enables agility, Mm -hmm. right? 
you can walk up and you say, I understand my highest ability to contribute to this activity in less than five minutes. And for some of them, it's about five seconds because it's been really well refined by agilists working carefully on the DOD and the DOR. And they're all, you meet the DOR so you can plug right in. So that then the aggressive swappability that's internal business agility. So Tesla's headquarters is about 10,000 people and you can do a focused firefight on almost any task. I'll say position, but almost any task with about a minute's notice. So, I mean, Toyota, GM, Ford, you, you can't, you, you build a career around running the tool bins and making sure the right tools are in the right place. And it is a career and it is an art and it is beautiful. But what that is, is horrible visual management because visual management should be some clumsy half drunk person rolls in and they're like, okay, I can maintain the, the knack, the, the automated tool operations for this area or much harder core, more mental than that. The next factory rollout of land acquisitions. And so what we agilists have learned about making work visible and scrum boards or Kanban boards or whatever, by the way, we use scrum boards, but Kanban so super similar when done well, I'll, I'll, I'll give it the credit it deserves that it becomes hyper agile. And that focused firefight is what makes the record numbers pour out because it, it truly is a battle of bottlenecks. Uh, Eli Goldratt had it right a long time ago and many people far before Eli um, saying you're looking for Herbie, you're looking for the bottleneck and the bottleneck keeps moving and you never stop looking for the bottleneck. So you look for the bottleneck and when you can dump 10,000 people on it in a way that they can directly contribute in less than five minutes. So that's the art and that is hardcore mental. So it, it's hard. Like it, it's not trivially easy. Making work walk up simple is massively challenging and important, but when it's done, the business benefit is unheardofly good. You're just like, here's 10,000 people who can solve the problem really quickly. And you know what happens? You get state of the art in about an hour. And when you do that routinely as a business model, you become the largest stock price ramp in history. How much, um, how much bleed over is there uh, between all of those different areas that you were talking about. So Tesla, big umbrella, but you've got SpaceX, you've got um, uh, Neuralink, you've got Boring Company, all those. Like, is that just kind of built into the DNA of all of these different organizations? Are, and are people almost like hot swappable across them? Or what What, what are the, the distinctions like there? Y yes, Jeff and Jeff, and it's what you teach. Uh, it is what you teach. So it, it's companies taking what you say to heart at, at scale is, is what it is. And so it's that it's there's a, a narrow set of principles that if we decide we're never going to work without, we won't tolerate tolerate working without them, then you're portable across those companies. And it's also what you teach is it's coming from the C-suite. I, I jokingly said talking to Renault uh, last week, it was a public conversation. So I can say I was talking to Renault last week and um I said, if Renault bought Tesla, which by the way, you can't because the total value of Renault is less than 1% of Tesla's value right now. But if somehow you did and you installed Renault's management team instead of Tesla's management team, it would die. Hmm. And it's true. It's the management team. It's the management team not tolerating, not having DOE and DOR. And if people have a, and, and not only that, but it truly 
modeling the interfaces clearly is is an important element, as you know. Uh, but it's more than that. It's all this agile stuff that we're familiar with. But uh, to simplify, the DOE and DOR and DOD is, is is a good first step. If you tolerate a poor or vague or nebulous or delegate to sub-managers DOD and DOR and don't check on it and verify that it's awesome and walk up simple, it's going to die. And Elon won't tolerate not that. And he will, if, if he sees an area of the company that's not super clear on what their burn down chart is, their product backlog is, their sprint backlog is, he will directly intervene himself. And uh, Jeff Bezos, I've worked with Apple, but I'd never worked with Jeff Bezos. I I worked with the uh, architecture group that made the design of the new Apple campus. And it's all agile. It's all scrum. It's built into a scaling framework physically. And it it works really artfully. And I'm very impressed with what Apple chose to do. Uh, But I I didn't work directly with um, um, Jeff Bezos. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry, I, Steve Jobs. Um, I did work for Jeff Bezos, and I did work directly with uh, Bill Gates, and I learned a lot from those people. I'm, I've had a privileged career. <laughs> uh, a commonality across all those people is no matter what level you are in the company, they will ask you if you're in the elevator with them, if you're in the lunchroom with them, if, you, if they have the opportunity to be direct contact with you, no matter if you're an intern or anything, they will ask, what are you working on right now? And if it doesn't clearly align to what they understand to be the value of the company, they will say, I need you to report to your manager and get fixed, or I need you to report to me and get fixed because you're not working on what's most important for the company. They just don't tolerate it. But the culture of most companies is I've delegated that their manager will handle that, or maybe I don't understand the whole picture. I I shouldn't assume and that's what makes companies that will die. Mm-hmm. That lack so, of focus and alignment on where they're going, right? That's what you're. And that's what you both teach when you're talking about an executive backlog that's focused for the company and working on the highest priority at once and the product goal or the sprint goal or, or whichever, the idea of this focus point. Mm-hmm. And, and getting that into the C-suite, it's that, it's what you're teaching. And that's what makes this swappability across all of the, for example, Musk companies, because people understand I'm not going to tolerate vagueness. If there's vagueness, I will fix it. And I know that if I was wrong in fixing it myself from my own narrow knowledge, people only have my back. Uh, And I will only be a victim if I tolerate vagueness and lack of focus. So when you're talking about that, that walk up simplicity and you, you really overemphasize in a great way that the definition of done and the definition of ready when I, which is exciting to me because I don't think I, I know the definition of ready has a little bit of a negative stigmatism out there and I can understand why. And that's where I want to go with this question is how do you, where's the art between definition of ready and um, the analysis phase? Um, so how, how is it not death by analysis, but you, you get the, the walk up simplicity and you have a very, formal or deliberate definition of ready? How, how do you find that balance? It's also what you two teach. I'm going to mirror it back and I think you'll laugh because you'll be like, this is what we've been saying for years. Because it is. It's what you've been saying for years. It's a zero tolerance for not delivering at the end of each cycle. Uh, I'll say sprint, uh, but cycle in general, right? It's a zero tolerance for not delivering to the customer. Uh, is a, the, 
I'll, by example, it's going to be much more clear to every, every one of our listeners, although Jeff and Jeff, I think already are like, oh, yeah. Um, so when Tesla buys a piece of land, SpaceX, Boring Company, all of them, when they buy a piece of land, they put up a tent. And that was laughed at by Reuters, which became uh, anyway, that's the whole story. But the, here's what happens. They put up a tent. And inside that tent, people design, build and test new product. Like that's what that's what's happening in that tent. So they, they bought it that day. And that day, the same calendar day, there's a tent erected and, and legit, it, it's like rented or bought from Amazon. It's like the same tent you'd get for a wedding or a graduate. It's the same one. Right. So they, they start with like the one that looks like a wedding with the, the faux framed windows and everything. Later, they get a sprung structure because they, they're much more durable and high winds. So it's it's less risk of downtime. But they start with when they just nab on Amazon and it's, it's a wedding tent or a graduation tent. It's that. Right. So that goes up the same day. And the people that go in there are designing, building and testing the real product. So. I'll use Sparks Nevada as an example, which was the first gigafactory. Now there's a gigafactory in Berlin and a gigafactory going up in outside Austin, Texas. And they're doing the same thing. This is this is the model. So Sparks Nevada, the tent goes up same day and they are designing, building and testing batteries that day because the only reason they bought the land is because they said, I think if we buy the land the same day we buy it, I think we can make more batteries or they wouldn't have bought it. So th this idea of a long-term thinking, yes, there's a long-term wish, just as you teach, right? We've got this long-term vision that we of course correct to, but it's all about what are we gonna do this sprint? And sprints in these companies are about three hours long. So the daily scrum is about once every 45 minutes. So it's in the next three hours, will buying this land let me make more batteries or not? And if it won't in the next three hours, if, why buy it? So, so truly, like this is real agility, like you're saying. So they go in, they're designing and testing batteries like they were in a rented storage unit the day before, but now they've got land in a tent. So it's a little better for them. They've got more room. So now a hundred of them are working in a set of these tents instead of, you know, distributed across storage units or office spaces or whatever they were crammed in before. Well, around them in real time is built the scaffolding of the, the, large factory, the huge factory. And this is one of the largest enclosed spaces on the planet. So this is massive. This is a massive space. It's so big that clouds can form inside the building. Like, so I don't mean to demean it. It's huge. But that's built over the tent while the people are working in the tent. Now, what the construction teams do, it's agile, right? They ask the people in the tent, what do you need? Every hour. And the people in the tent say, like this, I think we need a robot track here. I think we need... I think we need uh, massive scaffolding here. I think we're going to need really heavy machinery here. So fortify the, the foundation here. And it's a real-time conversation. And it's built in real time. <laughs> well, the factory then is built in cubes. It's called modular XY manufacturing. So it's a cube. The, the overall factory is going to be 20 of these cubes or more, right? But it's one cube at a time. So there's that cubes going up over the tent. It's real-time conversation. It's agile construction. Well, once the building is weather enclosed, they disband the tent, right? And if velocity of new battery design, new battery build, and new battery test doesn't go up, they gut the inside of that building and do over because they failed. Hmm. The only purpose of that building, a lot of companies build a building to have a building. They're like, well, we have an infrastructure budget. We have a CapEx budget. Let's do capital expenditures this year. What? 
<laughs> are you crazy? And that's normal, right? In a company like this, an actual outcome-based company, it's did we accelerate, right? It's what, it's what we as Agilists teach. It's a Kaizen. It's a sprint review. Did we accelerate? No. Gut the building, build it again. The tent was just as fast. We failed. Then if by moving out of the tent into the space that's around the tent, because it's built on top, which I mean, any, anyway, if it accelerates, quality goes up because there's not dust blowing in and there's temperature control and the benefits of a building and we have security. So we have fewer people being escorted out or, or whatever, right? So if speed goes up, then success. Then we put a tent next to it and have more people come in. And then build the next module. And that's module XY construction and bam, 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 it scales out. And if you look at Google images, Google maps, or some flyover videos, that's what all the Tesla factories do. So that's why I can say it is you can see it. Like it's visually obvious. You can look right now and you'll see the next tent at the next cleared square. Like you'll, you'll see it now. Like that's, that's how this works. And it's in real time. Um, that zero tolerance for not shipping this sprint and when you're dealing with short sprint lengths, like three hours, is what back calculates all of these practices. So it's it's what we've been teaching. And I, as someone who ventured into scrum training as a primary career for a number of years, it's you can be disillusioned because you, you get a lot of slow clients that want to be fast. And they're all, tell us how this works. And you're like, you need a bias towards action this sprint. And they're like, okay, well, this quarter... We'll try to make a good plan. And they're all in the next five years, we'll open a new site to make this product. And you freak out mentally because you've got an agile mindset, but you think maybe this is how it really is if you've been doing it for a lot of years, because a lot of companies are there and you go, well, maybe it is just a five-year thing. And then you go to a company that's the real deal and you're like, oh, thank goodness. My agile mindset was correct. <laughs> you uh, you made me think about a... a- the the breaking point for me in my past where I where I ended up leaving a company was uh, I had a, a leader tell me, Jeff, you're you're too impatient. You need to allow three to five years for meaningful change uh, before you start seeing stuff. And I, it, yeah, exactly. Like the mind <laughs> just explodes at that point. But I, but I want you to like. This is it's a little bit of a tangent, but w- what was going through my head was like, in other words, you want me to waste three to five years of my time before anything meaningful even starts, I'm out. Like at that point, like I, I've got a life to live. I've got more important things that I could be working on. Uh, so I, I, I chuckle when you say that, especially when you throw the, the whole five year thing out there. Um, Though three <laughs> hours, I've got to, I've got to admit, Joe, that, that like even obviously it's a thing. I'm not second guessing it by any stretch of the imagination. But even when I've toyed with the idea of like, oh, so what would a one day sprint look like? All right, well, we get together in the morning, we go through this by the end of the day. All right, we want to have something that's valuable out to a customer. And then we'll spend a few minutes talking about how we could do even better about it tomorrow. And like, even there, my brain is like, wow, that sounds pretty intensive. Like eh, maybe one week sprints, that's pretty good. But now you're talking three hour sprints and wow, my mind is in hardware. So there's like land acquisition, legal test, legal lobbying, mechanical engineering, software. There's software in there too, but software is easy in three hours. App companies do it all the time. Good ones do it all the time. But this is like creating machines that will bend metal in that amount of time. And so good luck, Daimler. I'm really proud of Daimler saying, 
we're going to pivot to electrification. And Daimler is a client of mine. But I will honestly say, good luck, because they, their current CEO has just said, thank you so much, Germany, for saying the move is to electrification. And so this year, we will make a massive investment. And I'm like, don't you mean this minute? Like, it's just so wrong paced. Mm-hmm. Yes, Jeff, I, I, I agree and empathize and, and sparkle fingers to, to, <laughs> to the story you just said. And kudos to you for saying this is ludicrous. I need to take my skills to, to somewhere who can better keep up. Yeah, that I mean, three hours, I was like, wow, is that, I would love to see that. I would want to be a part of that. Like that is, sounds really exciting because I, I guess I was going back to a few years ago, Jeff and I were on scrum teams together and Jeff was the product owner and I was a scrum master. And and we were in an environment where if we didn't deliver every sprint, like we would literally like our scrum team, we get fired from the client. And like that was the stakes we were playing with. And we delivered every sprint, uh, something. And, you know, those were two-week sprints. And, and we tell people the story when we're in our classes. And they're like, I just don't understand how you could do that, you know, sprint one, sprint two. And they just they have, they have just can't wrap their heads around it. But, like, I love this story because I'll be like, hey, Tesla's doing it in three hours. Like, come on. Like, if they can do it in three hours, you can do it in two weeks. Like, there is there is a way to do this. So, um I guess that's really inspirational to to hear that story and know that it's being done um, to that scale. I'll I'll avoid violating my NDA, but I'll but I'll hedge it and say sometimes it's faster than three hours. That's awesome. And then and um, so I also there's a somebody else I, I was working with at one time, and I always thought this was kind of crazy. We were, they were doing team self selection every day basically to figure out how they're going to work down the backlog figure out where they're going. And I was like, wow, that forming, storming, norming thing, that's kind of BS, isn't it? And then, and like, they're like, well, if you're all aligned, you understand where you're going, you can make that happen. And there's a lot of trust in the organization. Um, so I think, you know, what are those, what are those keys that you've seen? Cause I think that that's pushback that I've gotten from people. Like you need to go through these stages. You're not going to be a high performing team if you're reforming that fast and you're doing it every three hours, maybe even or less. Um, have you seen any impacts to like team dynamics uh, in those situations? Yes, because you've got to treat each other as a simplified version of each other at that speed. And that that's a downside. So that's part of the walk up simple is it's, I mean, it's, these are ultra complex tasks, invent something that's never been created before. And many other companies say is physically impossible, right? I mean, I don't want to reduce the awesome of the challenge. So you're walking up to something epic that is truly game-changing, world-changing, humanity-changing if you can do it, and you plug into this team, but you don't you don't know how to riff off each other the way a team that's been together a long time has. Now, you will, because you'll swap back and forth and swap back and forth as is most helpful for you and everyone else, but you'll overlap. And over time, you will build deeper relationships with each other. And it does happen, right? But it's not as fast as if you're on a dedicated, stable team, which has plenty of perks. The downside is you can't do a focused firefight and you don't have as much cross-learning. And we know cross-functionality is is powerful, right? Yeah. But a lot of the time you're with a bunch of people for the first time. And so you you treat each other and it, it, it sucks a little bit is you're also treated as a known stable interface. Hmm. And it's, they know I can opt in at this level. 
I know they can opt in at this level. I don't know their other personal ninjutsu, so I won't assume it. And still the, the end product is amazing and so much better than the alternative, but there, there's a downside to going to swapping that fast. Now the antidote or, or the good side is many times I'd be on a team with someone who I'd eventually been on with for a hundred hours before or 400 hours before, and we could silently communicate like a good team does. And the cool thing is, even people we'd never worked with would see that happening and they would ramp up that much faster. So the rate of learning is through the roof. I don't think you can get that another way. I'm not aware of getting that another way. So overall net net, this is the best I've seen so far anywhere. I wouldn't trade it uh, for every other model I've seen so far. The downside is, yeah, often you are emitting and receiving at the lowest common denominator and the lowest common denominator is not that low, honestly, um, because you hold each other to a high bar. Yep. An interesting example that I love, and this might actually not be the best public relations, but I want to be honest and it's amazing, is I was working across from someone who had gotten their master's of business from MIT Sloan, which I respect. Um, and they uh, had been one of the leads for Obama's reelection campaign, which was successful. And so they're by my normal metrics, a rock star, a rock star in the world. On our same team was someone with an alcohol problem who was homeless and living in an RV uh, a block away from the headquarters. Hmm. And we were all contributing at the same level. I want to be really clear about that. I want to be really clear about that. We were all contributing to what I believe is a worthwhile cause. The future of humanity and, and the battle for the environment is truly how I think this is at the same level, because you can see the level at which you're contributing and the level of rock stardom had zero to do with anything whether than how did I choose to apply myself today? And in that way, having a stable team might actually sabotage some people because they might fall into over-respect or self-deprecation. I mean, I was impressed by some employees and I was maybe over-impressed with myself versus other employees. I started to learn to forget that because of how rock star drunk homeless people who needed a job can be with no education other than they've been playing the game in Tesla for a while, which is a really high level game. And people who walked in with awesome credentials who are awesome, I don't want to play that down either. They were rock stars. They were mental giants and they knew how to put the pedal to the metal and they knew how to apply themselves. And yet the net net contribution was visually, visually obviously at the same level. And I want to say when you have a good system, the team, how to say what I think I've learned is I'm in recruiting. Now it's changed how I think about recruiting. I have zero interest in credential and, and Musk has been saying this forever. I don't care if you graduated high school, he's been saying forever and he gets a lot of flack for that. He's like, uh, I will hire some people in spite of their doctorate degree is what Musk says. Um, and yet some people, with their doctorate degrees are amazing. And what they got their doctorate in is amazing. And yet I think I get it now. Um, drunk homeless people are kind of where it's at. 
and, and amazing PhDs are also kind of where it's at. But I, I wouldn't exchange one for the other. There, there's some interesting learnings in team dynamics that I think uh, traditional publications like um, uh, much of what Harvard puts out can learn from. Now, they've got a vested interest. They're also pushing Harvard, right? So if you read Harvard Business Review, they want to protect the mystique of Ivy League education. And I like HBR. I get a lot out of it. That said, you got to balance it with the fact that they make more money when more people enroll in Ivy League schools and keep that prestige going. And there's a pretty interesting business case in ignoring that entirely, Mm -hmm. which I'll I'll put out there. So tell me more about like, how that hiring happens. So what would you look for then? So if you're saying credentials don't matter at all, maybe yeah. even some experience doesn't matter that much. It sounds like mm-hmm. if you're getting people off the st- off the street and, and just working together, what are the, I'm assuming it's the soft skills you're looking for. Like people that can work together, they're humble or they're hungry to learn. They're emotionally intelligent. Those are things maybe you're looking for, but what are or maybe, or maybe I put words in your mouth, but like what are those key things that you're looking for? Well, I love it. That yeah, team still, still where my, my mind is, but I'm going to process or try to process what I experienced engaging with the company because they've been at it for more years than me. I've been doing it at my own walled garden, wiki speed, and I learned a lot. Uh, but uh, the Tesla recruitment process seems to be come on in. Hmm. Like, I, I, I don't think they're even looking for soft skills. But in exchange, what they do is have a high bar that is achievable like walk up simple is it is as important as i'm trying to stress it definition of ready definition of done core agile core scrum practices are as important as i'm trying to stress i believe but it's i don't think the hiring really vets hmm. oh you're a murderer and you were fired from your last seven jobs great come on in like legit come on in and but i mean you're going to be weeded out immediately if you don't hit the definition of done, hmm. but the definition of done is very clear. Like, like, like even to someone who's educationally challenged or English as a third language, which some people are right. It, it, it's super effort to make it clear. And it's humans are powerful things. Humans are powerful things. And your history has, doesn't matter. So here's a DOR that humans can usually understand. Hit the DOD. It's going to be hard. It's hmm. going to be super hard. And you're going to have to work as a team. You're going to have to use all the agile practices we love. You're going to have to use all of them to even hit it. Here it is. Go. And that seems to be the hiring criterion. <laughs> you, you mentioned so, earlier that everybody yeah, has... I haven't enlightened as that yet, but that's what I've experienced. Yes, please, Jeff M. Thank you. No, you had mentioned earlier, everybody has visibility to the value that each team member is producing. Can you And a cross team, too. Like, like, like globally as a mass as well. So can you, value is a little bit generic of a term there. Can you go a little bit more specific with that to, to paint a little bit more of a picture of like, if Jeff's dragging ass and he's not pulling his effort here, like he typically does, uh, how do I have visibility into that? And, you know, how do we hold each other accountable? Yeah. Okay. So um, each team has authority to do an immediate fire uh, and an immediate hire. It's, it's full bi-directional at any time in team, uh, like zero lag, you know, nanosecond. Uh, so that's one and everyone knows it. Um, 
and and they got to justify it to HR if it's questioned. And HR is rigorous and legal, so right, they've they've got to be able to make the case, but they have full authority. There's there's no question. So that's one thing. Um, it, it, just like a pro sports team, you know, so and so is not showing up for practice. Apparently, they're not on the team, right? So so that's it. Um, if someone does something stupid or dangerous, they're gone. Right. And, and everyone has cut huge amounts of slack is also in, in practice. Oh, they're having a really bad day. I respect that. I understand that. Right. So I also don't mean to be over harsh. Um, but uh, the authority in team, which is what we've been teaching for years, right? It's what we've observed useful in agile teams. The authority in team seems to be important. I believe, I believe, I still believe that to be important. Then the team level visibility, which comes from making work visible. So the scrum master role is great at that. And the certified scrum master course, the professional scrum master course, the advanced scrum master courses are phenomenal at skills for making work visible among others, among facilitation skills. That's completely necessary for this to happen. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Jeff and Jeff, and I think you're with me. That's the real deal. Um, yeah. So authority and transparency, Team size is interesting because depending on what the work is, you can have a high level of visibility with a really large team. And I think a lot of agilists haven't realized that lately because they've only been thinking about people sitting at desktops in a room together in an office building. And post COVID, we've got Zoom and other types of work like a marketing campaign or manufacturing operation or whatever. It's a different layout and you may have high visibility with different numbers of people. But the threshold is really, do I have high visibility? And also Scrum Master skills help make that come more true, even for large numbers of people. So some teams are big and it works as long as there's high visibility, right? As long as we don't have information hiding and information hiding, some of us from a IT background preach is a good thing. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's simply radical transparency, like Yes. <laughs> um, information hiding is, is, as far as I know now, one-to-one, not a good thing, period. The details all need to be there. Yeah, maybe there's a bolded number at the top for walk-up simple, but it's all there. You're in development mode all the time, right? There, you don't have other modes. Um, yeah, that seems to make the difference and allow the teams to scale, the teams to nexus. Did I hit your point, Jeff M, or, or did I dance around it? No, I, I, I think you got it. And even with just the, the first part, because I know um, Boobles talks about this a lot, you know, the self-organizing versus self-managed. I know just yesterday, I think the new Scrum Guide came out. Now it's self-managed inside of there, which speaks more to the spirit of it. But you're like, every team is its own little business. Every yeah. Each team has the ability to hire and fire. Each team is accountable for showing the value that they are producing and producing value at the end of every sprint. And just like a good company should be, um, you know, th- there, there shouldn't be this, this delta between how the treat the team treats itself and how the business treats itself. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> excellent. So for people who can't see good hand motions there, um, there was enthusiasm. Jeff- there was enthusiastic agreement. 
So, I, I, Jeff, unless you've got something else, I really, really, really want to make sure that we get onto this other topic, Joe, that you had talked about before we started recording, which was the the future of humanity, the future mm-hmm. of government. Um, I, I, I want to unleash you a little bit in that direction because this is what really intrigues me. Um, so the floor is yours. What, what are some thoughts there? Well, I'm going to start by making sure Jeff and Jeff teach me the future of humanity, the future of government, because I, I imagine you've got some ruminations of it. We didn't prep this, by the way, world on the call. Um, but uh, Jeff and Jeff, if, if you don't mind me asking flat-footed, I'd really like to know. And, and I, I think about this a lot. And I, I've had some recent conversations about this at a, an interesting level that I want to share. But I want to tee that up with, the, what do you think? Please teach me. Please teach us. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. I'll jump in after you. Yeah. So. I think that the world is changing to um, instead of hands work, it's going to be knowledge work. It's service work. We're going to be doing a lot more creative things in the future. As we, as even in the next five to ten years, I think it's going to be drastically different than where we are today. And um, and I think that's going to change the way that we work and the way that people are managed inside of organizations and the way they're structured. I think that a lot of hierarchy is going to start to fade away because I think the organizations that have a lot of hierarchy have a lot of waste. And so I think that they're going to find better ways. I think we're going to find a lot better ways. A lot of the ways that you talked about today with radical transparency, I'm a big, big believer in radical transparency. And I think that that's going to be in organizations. I think that in government, I think everywhere, like that can solve a lot of problems really fast and just kind of cut through a lot of the BS that's out there um, today. So I think those are some big things. I also think that, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of things out there. Like we want to go into climate change and all kinds of other stuff. I think that's going to have a big effect on where we're going and everything we're building needs to be reusable in some way, or we need to figure out ways to modulize stuff, stuff that you're talking about, like with those tents or whatever else, like you might use a tent, but then we need to move it somewhere else and use it somewhere else. We're not going to throw that thing in the ocean and like, let it, you know, be in that big plastic thing that's the size of Texas out in the middle of the ocean. Right. So um, those, those are the things that I see kind of, I think are going to happen sooner than people think. A lot of people might think that's 50 years down the road. I don't think it's that far. Um, I don't know, Jeff, I'll let you riff a little bit on that. So I, um, I, interesting that this, this has come up again. We, I, we had the opportunity probably a few months ago now to, to, to chat with Gary Hamill a couple of times. And I had thrown this out there with him, which was, I feel like government is in the midst of a transformation in the same way that many of the, um, businesses are in the midst of a transformation where it just becomes more customer focused. And I think government is trying to figure that out. They're trying to get out of this. Um, the the customer is here for me versus me being here for the customer, but making that same type of analogy for government. Um, they're also trying to make, when I originally thought, I, I thought it was the digital transition, but it's more the customer centric transition that I think government is going through. I think Two other things, Jeff hit on one of them, which is climate change. But I also think it's interesting that we're le- we're departing the age of scarcity and entering the age of abundance, where we're no longer really uh, squabbling over uh, limited resources the way we used to. Now we've got plenty uh, of resources and we're not fighting with each other the same way that we used to, at least more in the, the more developed and educated areas of the world. Um, and so 
I, I, I'm really super intrigued by this type of topics. I, I, I follow a lot of, of, of politics for better or worse, but just a lot of more future looking stuff. Like how are we discovering our humanity again? Like even just discovering how the brain works and how sleep is so important to our, our bodies. It, it's as fundamental as, you know, even more fundamental than uh, exercise and eating um, and, and just the, the whole neural link. And now I'm going on a little bit of a rant with it, but I do feel like we're, we're right and people have talked about like, this is actually the end of the newest Gilded Age, right? We came out of a Gilded Age where, uh, you know, the robber barons were real big and where that term comes from, it makes it look really pretty, but on the inside, it's all kind of decayed out. I feel like that's exactly where we're at today. And a lot of people, because of transparency, a lot of technology that's there are really pissed at government. They're starting to see that they're really just there for their own self-interest. They're, they're sick of the war machine. They're sick of the endless wars. Um, and they want a government that actually serves their interests and not the interests of themselves. So that's where I'll stop my rant, Joe. Uh, what are your thoughts on all this? Oh, you said it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to only amplify. So th there was nothing that I think I've learned or seen that's counter to what you just taught us. Love, 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 love. The conversations that Elon continues to have with different groups, I find intriguing on what should a government be like on Mars. Um, hmm. And uh, I love that, right? Because it's a it's a it's a reboot opportunity, one of many. It's one of the reboot opportunities, and it's super near term. I heart that it's coming crazy soon. Heart, 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 heart. And it sure looks like not voting for people, but voting on the issue hmm. is is coming back in style, which has a lot of advantages with transparency. So it's not, do I trust this person ethically, and then their ethics are in question. And do I trust this person's ability to inspect and adapt, which then allows you to bring their ethics into question because it's they learn something new and change their mind. Well, good. That means they're scientific and smart. Oh, well, bad. That means they're not hardline ethic. And so you can sabotage anyone. You can sabotage anyone. So instead of voting on anyone, you vote on issues. So issue based voting seems uh, and, and direct democracy, direct count because you don't have a mediary seems to be coming into vogue again. Heart, heart, heart. Um, so, so that's an important step, which, by the way, is what Agile teams have been doing forever. And with tools like Fun Retro, which, I mean, I don't usually directly endorse tools, but that one's pretty good, um, allow people to do. And so you're not voting on your product owner. You're voting on the product backlog. You're not voting on your Scrum Master. You're voting on the Kaizen, on the continuous improvement item. So it, it works better. So instead of me voting on the mayor of an arbitrary geographical slice, I'm voting on should there be a bridge here? Is that economically important? Is that safety important, right? And that just makes better sense and it cuts out some problems we currently have. So that's good, is one, a, a movement towards voting on the issues. Uh, another that uh, hasn't yet been touched on, so I'm going to augment what I've just heard. And that's uh, a hyper desirable lifestyle that anyone can afford. And it's possible physically if you count atoms making it come true is something that is possible in our lifetime if you count rate of innovation mm -hmm. doing it is a lot of hard work and i'm really interested in it and i don't think i'm the only one so if you look at instagram and i don't mean instagram is like the litmus test but it's and it's a litmus test and you look at stuff that people like on Instagram. So it's it's an Instagram-worthy lifestyle. 
it's beaches, it's opulent houses, it's being fit, it's uh, grooming yourself well. And those things get a lot of hits on Instagram. It's also food, by the way. It's great looking food. But doing that in a way where you maintain your healthy fit self is the other half of the Instagram worthy lifestyle. And you don't lose all your money. So you still have the beach lifestyle is the other part, right? So the Venn diet, or sorry, not the Venn diet, the, the synthesis of Instagram was be you have six packs abs, no matter what your age. You've taken time to groom today, no matter what your age. You've taken time to be careful about what you chose to wear or, or not. I mean, sometimes people are basically nude. Um, and you're on a beach. Like th that's this <laughs> common synthesis of, of Instagram. Um, when I was at Tesla, most people, regardless of skill or experience or what they're doing are paid $19 and 50 cents an hour. Hmm. Now Tesla's headquarters is in Fremont, California. I was going to say in probably the most expensive state in the country. It, it, it is not an affordable place to live. And so you have a mix of people uh, trying to make that work. So a lifestyle of people who are totally crushing it and performing it globally at top grade, like the MIT Sloan graduate, MIT Sloan Business School MBA graduate, are people like this are sharing a trailer with four or five other people, a two to four hour drive away in the desert where it's 120 degrees Fahrenheit in the sun. So this is a, not an Instagram worthy lifestyle. This is actually a wretched lifestyle from, from a dystopian movie where you have the tower of people who live carefree, but are stressed about, am I in the right relationship or is my food pretty enough or whatever, and are distractedly unhappy with ennui, but don't really know why. And then you have all the other people outside living in the like trash pile desert thing. I mean, this is total Mad Max and it's real. It's super real. And these are the people that are the top contributors to business on the planet. So the, the Tesla model is you get a universal basic income, which is basically $19 and 50 cents an hour, but you get an awesome discount to buy stock and the stock is where it's at. So yeah, you, you do end up buying a beach house in Malibu, California, if that's what you want, because you can't, because the stock pops, but you get a universal basic income. And if you choose not to buy stock, good luck. But you get an awesome discount on stock and you get an awesome benefit to how it's evaluated by being an employee. So that's the model. And that's an interesting model because it incents company success. But let me take it back to lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I believe there is something wrong. So this is my ethics, my, my Joe's ethics. Welcome to the podcast. Here's Joe's ethics. Um, is there something wrong with a society that peddles and advocates a lifestyle that is completely unattainable unless you're in the top 1% or top 10th of a 1% of income globally. I, I think that's wrong <laughs> because you have more have nots than haves and that's yucky, I think, I think. So I believe there's an opportunity to take what we know about fast delivery and what we know about rapid pivot to make people happy and make an Instagram worthy, healthy, environmentally sustainable lifestyle that's affordable to people that make $19 and 50 cents an hour, which is still a high wage when you think about it globally. Sure. When you think about it, pure play globally, that's still a privileged wage, but I'll say, let's start there at least and, and go lower when we can. So how do you take the world's habitable beachfront property 
and be a steward of it in a way that by a human living there, more dolphins, more turtles, more bugs, everything can live there than if a human didn't. So it's net net better, not just not worse, right? It's net net more biologically diverse, healthy, and biologically dense. How do you do that in a way that looks awesome on Instagram? And, 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 and anyone can buy in and more than 8 billion people can do it. So you have scarcity that doesn't get hit until you have at least 8 billion people and allow that to double. So let's say 16 billion, because then you have some headroom for growth, right? That I think is why I'm alive. And for those who are curious about WikiSpeed that set four, four world records building carbon fiber, mid-engine, aluminum extruded chassis cars that were the lightest, safest thing ever produced with the fastest certification time ever produced and with the highest fuel efficiency of any internal combustion car ever by people of working part-time for fun using Scrum. Well, what are they doing now? Well, what we're doing now is we have a, a, we call it the mega factory. It's in a desert because if you build something on a desert, yes, you do kill some bugs and you kill some lizards and you kill some snakes and you even kill some rabbits and you kill some uh, squirrels. And I don't like any of that, but it's less biologically dense than almost any other habitat on the planet. So if you're going to build something somewhere, it's one of the least damaging. Also, you have phenomenal sun exposure. So if you're going to be solar powered, which we are, it's a really good place to do that. You get ridiculous amounts of power per square meter of roof. Also, you get a 40 degree Fahrenheit swing between nighttime low and daytime high. And while that is uncomfortable for people and you have to change clothes two or three times a day, and you do, that's awesome for composites. Composites as a structural material are awesome because you can make them out of stuff you grow. Like you, you can mince stuff together and make resin, ultra strong glue, and you can grow stuff that you can then anneal, basically you can, you can squelch into being carbon extruded filaments and, and make carbon fiber. You can make some of the strongest stuff per weight that humans know how to make yourself for almost free. And what makes that work is dramatic temperature differential on a predictable cadence. Well, guess what a desert is? It's a predictable temperature differential and you don't have to even power it. You're like, I'm going to put this in a greenhouse and it's going to get nutty hot and be incredibly viscous and the bubbles are going to come out. So I have incredible low void content area that doesn't have resin penetrating it because the bubbles evaporated. And then in the night, I'm going to have awesome gelling properties because it's super cold. And so you hit that. So you don't kill many things. You do kill some stuff, but you don't kill many things less than other habitats. You have awesome solar and you have great temperature differential on a daily cadence that's fully predictable. It makes a really good factory. So the mega factory exists there and its product is something Elon Musk taught me, taught all of us. And that's the factory is the product. So that factory produces factories and those factories, and this is an aspiration. This is happening now. We haven't, deployed these in any rapid sequence yet. But the aspiration is for Wikispeed to produce factories that anyone anywhere in the world on a, on a low budget can go in with five friends or 50 friends if you're in a really low income region of the planet and you have one of these factories sent to you. And this factory then can produce Wikispeed cars because OBS and they're super fun and they're super fast. And how cool is that that you're 
corner neighborhood now made a supercar that embarrasses most other hypercars, right? That's cool. But it can also produce mega houses. Hmm. Now the mega house is a huge house because why not? But with, <laughs> but with a relatively small footprint, so it's fairly vertical, but it's all your house. It's your house. You own all the walls unless you decide to put it next to another house directly. Uh, it has an extremely low environmental footprint and it's super fashionable or the Japanese word oshare. It's super fashionable. It looks good on Instagram and it's crazy cheap because when you own the means to production, it's basically the cost of atoms and guess what? Atoms are free. So I mean, it's only the cost to place atoms where you want them. And when you own the means to production, guess what? That's almost free. So making stuff is cheap, by the way, surprise. I don't know how many people know that a Ferrari LaFerrari costs about the same as a Toyota Corolla to make, but it does. So there you go. Everything else is a branding exercise. So you have this mega house and now you have the means to produce it in essentially limitless volume. And that's the scheme of Wiki, Wikispeed's about. So what Wikispeed is trying to confront now is nothing short of making a highly desirable, environmentally friendly, environmentally contributory lifestyle affordable to everyone on the planet in a way that'll scale to more and is portable to Mars. But it gets better. Wikispeed learned how to make hardware with cars and cars get more fuel efficient the lighter they are as long as they don't lose safety. There is no downside to a car being lighter as long as it's not less safe. And, and there are ways to be safer by being heavier, but there are ways to be safer that are decoupled from weight, like crush absorption. And actually it's mostly yield strength versus fail strength, crush absorption, mostly. Well, we learned a lot about that. And we learned a lot about affordable composites and affordable metallics and how to put them together. Well, guess what makes really good stuff in space? Composites. metallics and high performance yeah. composites. Yeah. It does. And the cost to put stuff in space is dropping by about an order of magnitude a year now. Thank you, Elon Musk. So it just so happens that the mega houses fit inside the payload of SpaceX's Starship. Now, I'm not going to say the first mega house is going to make sense to be put in orbit, but every piece of tech we're putting in there is designed to bring us towards space houses. Because I don't know about you, but if I had unlimited wealth, which I don't, I, I'm, I'm okay, I'm doing okay, but if I had unlimited wealth and I could afford the best view in my home, it would be eternal sunset or sunrise over the surface of the earth. And with the ability to go back and forth to space trending to more than one time a day. I mean, if you told someone 20 years ago that data would be free and communication to anyone, anyone on the planet would be almost free, they'd be like, what? And then look at now, data is nearly free and communication is nearly free. Well, if you look at the same trend lines, cost per kilogram into orbit is on the same trend line and how frequently you can do it is on the same trend line. So I'm going to make a bet and I, I might be wrong, but I'm going to make a bet that you could get back and forth as a human with furniture and your pets and whatever, multiple times a day for almost free in a short amount of time. Hmm. And, and, and I'll go on record and say it's a very short amount of time. So if that became true, the ultra luxury orbiting home could be your next $1 billion house, right? 
for, and there are people that buy at that level. And there's actually thousands of people that buy at that level. Well, Musk made the Tesla Roadster first. The model is make a really expensive car and use the proceeds of that to fund a less expensive car and use the proceeds of that to fund the mass market thing that everyone can use that makes the difference for the environment. Well, we're doing the same with the mega house. While the terrestrial version is already intentionally radically affordable. Oh yeah, build them all across everywhere. The space version, yeah, it's gonna be expensive to start with, but we're using the same technology stack for all the houses. So we're learning as we go and testing as if this thing's gonna be in space, which is way overkill, but you know what? It gives you great security. You're basically in an armored castle, so not a bad thing. And you have a low environmental footprint because it's solar and it's self-regulating in terms of temperature and self-composting and all kinds of stuff, gray water recycling, because that's what you'd want if you were in space. And they all happen to fit in the cargo hold of this SpaceX Starship. So we're prototype, prototyping iterations towards space houses. But the ultimate goal is, NASA said recently, there are more Earth-like planets observed now, recorded now, than there are people that have ever lived, ever. So being an environmentalist is, can you get there? Can you get to these far-flung planets? They're Earth-like planets, and there's billions of them. In fact, there's more than one galaxy with many Earth-like planets than there are humans that have ever existed. So you could have your own galaxy. The question is, can you get there? Well, the space house, the idea is, all right, let's do it. Game on. And that, I think, is the future. And it's got to be, because if the future isn't life among the stars, it's shorter and less awesome, because we already know the timeline approximately to when the sun swallows our solar system. We know that, right? Like, science works. So you got to get outside the solar system sustainably. And that doesn't end. Galaxies collide. So it's the interesting future for humans is out there among the stars and I'm not going to sit on my hands. So space house. That sounds uh, pretty awesome. Um, wow. I, I don't even know where to go from here. Like this is just, uh, it seems like a science fiction uh, tale there, Joe, but I, I believe you. Like, it seems like it's, it's not that far away. We're going to build one of these at an agile company. Resume controlling robots. Cool. Oh, I, I got on the board of advisors of a robotics control company in Brazil that I think is really going the right direction because robotics control, you both said, what about human use of time? And I agree. Robots move molecules. If we as a human ever do more than hit a key, we, we did something wrong. Like we should totally work out. Fitness is important. But when it comes to building these stuff, you hit the print key. Like that's it. That is it. So I've been making some strategic acquisitions and partnerships with the funds I do have and the knowledge I do have in more autonomous robotics. And I'm learning a ton. It's, it's such a growth space. It's super exciting. But yes, that and it's robots. So Cool. Also, also ML and robots winning, which is how I started this call too, right? It's, it's really ML and robots yeah. and yes, yes. And yes. Um, please allow me to stress this for just another 60 seconds. Um, this robotics control company in Brazil, they've knocked a lot of the cost out of, I mean, phones cost per molecule are, are super cheap and the processing power is pretty good. 
Well, it turns out if you load that with some of the algorithms for robots to do self-correction when they make a mistake or they get a varied part, because parts aren't always the same, um, especially when you're on sprints because the parts change every sprint, right? So you want the robots to cope with change. Thank you, Tesla. You taught me a lot. Well, this Brazilian company has knocked a lot of the cost out of that to the point that it's like the cost of putting parts in a remote control airplane. It just happens to build something that's an industrial sized robot. The next step to knock cost out of is the joints and skeleton of that robot. And guess what Wikispeed knows how to do? Metals and things that rotate. And so we got that. It's nailed. We're already making that actually. <laughs> <laughs> the next, next step is winding our own AC motors and uh, a little bit more battery control, which Tesla is doing but I refuse to violate my NDA there. So what I'm shopping for next is a battery production company, not a holding company that then has their stuff wound in some third world country. I'm looking for the company in the third world country that winds motors. And then we're full stack. And when we're full stack, it's human sized robots that can do human sized work for 12 hour shifts. And then they can have a cool down and maintenance period and it's still cost effective. And then we can do mass employments of humans. So I'm hoping to create jobs that people can opt into that's guiding their robots from anywhere on the planet, as long as they have a basic internet connection from their phone. And I want them to do it as their AI symbiote through the robot. This does sound sci-fi, doesn't it? Yeah, what it does. I need to do is create lots and lots of jobs at maybe $19 and 50 cents an hour, but then create a luxury home that they can buy at that price. So everybody wins maybe. Uh, so I'm hoping to scale to 8 billion jobs and be the source of robotics for all humans scaling into space. So I'm trying to make a big play. I'm trying to make an 8 billion people sized play. And the actual play is semi-autonomous robotics, human guided semi-autonomous robotics. That's the real game. And the product, you have to have the product or you, the, you can't justify the cost of rolling out these robots. The product is the mega factory and that's what people actually buy. And it happens to make mega houses, which is how they get their return on investment and cars because hypercars are cool. There we go. That's that's what Wikispeed's up to. We're just, you know, a couple things, new jobs for everybody and changing lifestyle. It's going to be good. Wow. That's amazing. Um, if somebody wanted to get involved because Wikispeed's still volunteers, right? Yep. Um, how, how could they get involved with you and like and help out? Oh, well, just the same way you did, Jeff. Um, info at wikispeed.org. Or they can ping me on any social media. I'm at Joe Justice on Twitter and same on Facebook and same on LinkedIn. Um, but info at wikispeed.org is awesome. And also I'll say, please, Jeff and Jeff, when they ping your podcast, point them my way if you want. Absolutely. Uh, so I'll, I'll give your contact as a good contact. And I'll say the same advice I'd give to anyone. If you want to join, you can join at any level and you can join for 10 minutes a week and it'll be meaningful. But if you want to get the full experience, here's what you do. You make yourself available for 12 hours a day, which means your other 12 hours a day are rest, meditation, mindfulness, nutrition, fasting, workout. I mean, this is your thing. And you do it for 12 hours a day and try to last for 30 days. In 30 days, you will likely have already set a world record. And if you can do that, try to last 30 more days and just keep making it awesome. But the number of 30-day increments you can make this work is the magnitude of your capability to win. And that's the optimum recipe. 
And whether you choose to do that with a Musk company or with Wikispeed, which is pretty similar, or any of these modern agile companies, it's going to be pretty similar in any case. But that's your recipe. How do you be at your near top performance 12 hours a day? And that's going to involve a nutrition, fasting, workout, mindfulness, journaling, cult relationships, culling. You're going to become your best self. And for that, I will put a plug in for Maria Mattarelli's work with Peter Stevens, personal agility. That's what I did to do as much as I did. And it, it's, it's that you put your life goals in the backlog and then you put check, are these really my life goals in the backlog and use that to check your life goals. And you have a scrum master hold you accountable and hold up the mirror and you just do good scrum on your own life goals. And it, it, it works. It's very honest. So I would do that to get yourself to 12 hours a day competent and then join a Musk company or team Wikispeed. We're pretty much the same goals and make the commitment for 30 days and then decide, can you do it another 30 and do it as long as you can. And then you've got something that will beat any doctorate degree from anywhere in the world. You've got something that will beat any other resume from anywhere in the world. And I will recommend that to everyone before Elon Musk dies, do it, do it, do it now, drop out of whatever the, you're doing do it and if you don't do it for a must company do it for Wikispeed. we're kind of the same thing in a greater context but um you don't have to take my word for it i'll be humble do the other one i'll still cheer for you um i did it was awesome that 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 that's the takeaway and your stock pick stock tick for the day tesla is undervalued by about a thousand x you're, you're you've got a lot of upside by today <laughs> people people are getting all kinds of great advice here today so that's awesome uh joe we've been recording for quite a while so i'm really excited with all this content you shared so many great tips with us thank you thank you thank you for joining us tonight um lots of great value here so anything you you did talk about Wikispeed and how you get involved but is there anything else you want to plug or promote on the podcast jeff and jeff in this podcast folks I'm glad you're tuning into this one. Thank you so much. Maybe it's because one of the keywords that was aligned with me brought you here and you weren't already following and subscribing. These folks understand the agile mindset, which is what all this stuff is. All of this stuff is the agile mindset. And if you want to rock business harder than business has ever been rocked before, that's what it means. We think it looks like right now, applying the agile mindset to business. If you want to rock your relationships, your personal life, your health and fitness, your environmental contribution, your education to a stupidly effective level, it's this podcast. It's all the people on here tuning their advice to what you think is important, what you understand to be important. If you want to be a great parent to your kids or a great kid to your parents, it's the same thing. It's this inspect and adapt transparency cycle. A scrum master holds you accountable, the product owner role to help you focus on what's most important. This seems to be what's really working and including to scale. So subscribe to this, rock this, and take it seriously if you want to take yourself seriously. That's what I want to plug. Thank you so much, Jeff and Jeff. It is an honor and a half to be here. And let's do amazing. Thank you for listening to The Agile Wire. We are consistently inspecting and adapting ourselves. We would appreciate feedback at feedback at theagilewire.com or on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play Store. See you next time.